0: through Hebrews chapter 11, and this is our last message. Oh, so sad. So sad. But I'm excited for it. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Um, As we've gone through all these amazing heroes of the faith, what I've said pretty much every single week is that this is not, you know, this list of people isn't given to us um, as something that we're supposed to go, oh, wow, those people were so amazing. That might be step one, but step two, the whole reason why we're studying them is because there's got to be something within us that goes, God, give me the faith of Abraham. Lord, give me faith like Joseph, God. Give me the faith of these people. That should be something in our hearts that's contending for great faith in our lives, And as we read about these people, we can't, you know, let me put it to you one way. If we just read it and our hearts never become provoked to grow in faith, then we're not reading the scriptures with faith. I always say this, that faith starts with maybe. Faith starts with maybe. Like, wow, maybe Jesus really did rise from the dead right? It starts with maybe. It doesn't usually go like, whoa, he rose from the dead. It usually starts with maybe he did, right? Like maybe God is telling me to do something right now. Maybe this is God speaking to me right now. You know what that is? That's faith coming into your spirit. Faith starts with maybe. So as we look at all these heroes of faith, there's got to be something in us that says, maybe I could be a hero of faith in my life, right? Maybe me, right? And then naturally you'll start looking, oh man, but I've got all these weaknesses and I've got all these problems. And the theme that we've been hitting again and again and again as we go through these stories is that guess what? God used a lot of messed up people. So if you look at yourself and you go, man, I would love to be used by God in a great way, except I've got all of these problems. Good news. Your weaknesses don't disqualify you from being used by God in a great way. What does disqualify you is low faith. If you never say maybe, if you always just go, well, that's not for me. Those are, the, those are the real crazy Jesus people. I'm kind of a more normal Jesus person, right? If you categorize yourself like that and you never say, maybe I could be like that, I want to say, then you can't be. There's got to be a point at which you say of yourself, maybe, maybe God could do it in my life. Maybe my story could be like their stories. Maybe. It sounds crazy, it sounds impossible, because it is. It's impossible in your own strength. But the faith that says maybe brings it into the realm of possibility. Now there's a chance. Now there's a chance because now you start praying the prayers. God, Lord, if you would do something like this in my life. God, if you would increase my faith. God, if you would take me farther than I could ever go in my own strength. You start praying the prayers of faith, and they start carrying you into a destiny in God. Amen? Amen. So here we are at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick up at verse 32. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It will be on the board. It says this, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets, he skipped over David. He didn't even mention David. Sorry, I just got shook by that right now. Man, David didn't make it into the hall of faith. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying he's, he's, he's saying I don't have time to go into all their stories. So he's pointing out that he has to skip over David. What you think I'm blind? I literally just read it. Verse 33. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Let's pause right there. The author of Hebrews in his concluding remarks in chapter 11, what he's doing is he's going to say that all of these heroes of faith that we've been talking about and countless more had two things happen to them. It's always two things. Two things mark people of great faith, okay? Number one is what he just went through. People of great faith experience God moving in great ways. People of great faith experience God moving in great ways. This is an important thing to understand. If our faith is great, we will see God moving supernaturally in our lives. So what does that mean if we've never seen a miracle? Uh Uh-oh. It means our faith is small. Can we be blunt about this, okay? This is the hard part. A lot of times, people get offended when we start talking about miracles and stuff like that and how it correlates, how it intersects with faith because we, we have this imagination like, no, you don't understand. I've been going to church all my life. No, you don't understand. I'm president of my youth group, right? You don't understand. I'm a Bible study leader. I don't care. Who's impressed by that? I say that honestly. Why? Because that's what I told God at one point in my life. I remember I went to this retreat, and this random dude I've never seen in my entire life going on. And I, I was, he starts praying for me. He's like, can I pray for you? And I was, and I was like, yeah. He's like, what's, what, what's going on? And I, I was explaining my heart. I just feel like I, I can't really repent I was watching all the other people in the room. People were, like, crying, and they were, like, weeping, and I was, like, trying to repent. You ever had those times? Right? I'm really sorry this time, God. (laughs) This time, I'm super sorry. Right? And I I explain, and he prays for me, and then he says the most offensive thing. He says, oh, you have a self-sufficient Christianity. I was like, excuse me, I didn't say that. I was a little too shocked, I was like, right, I was like, do you know who I am? I was thinking this in my head. I'm like, I'm the president of this youth group. I'm the worship leader here, bro. Talking to me like that, like you you know me. But the words that he said were resounding in my heart. And that night, I remember I went up to the top of the mountain. When everybody else went to sleep, I went to the top of the mountain and I said, God, I'm not leaving until I have remorse for my sins, right? And some of you have heard this story. When I was up there on the mountain, I had one of my first visions ever, right, in my life. And the vision, it was not a glorious vision, okay? It was a terrifying vision. It was God He was looking at me. And I remember... I was like, you, you're looking at me. God, you just need to touch my heart. Just reach out your hand and touch my heart. And I know that I'll have real remorse for my sins and I'll really change. You'll, you'll really change me. And I remember in my vision, he just crossed his arms and he just looked at me. And I remember this, the fear of the Lord came on me and I realized I'm not a mature Christian. I realized <laughs> more humility, Jesus. Amen, <laughs> amen. That was my wife who went, mm-hmm. "Amen." I realized I'm not a mature Christian, and I remember I went down, I went down the mountain that night, and I remember I woke up the next day and I felt like I have no idea how to be a Christian. I don't. Because I don't know how to get God to change me. My whole understanding of what it meant to be a Christian was that I'm going to learn how to pray harder. I'm going to learn how to understand the scriptures. I'm going to learn to discipline myself. And it, it, I had a self-sufficient Christianity, dude. That annoying guy was prophetic. My understanding of Christianity was about everything that I could do, and about how I could grow. But the problem with all of that was I came to a realization that, no, what real Christianity is, is God actually doing something. And in that moment, I was like, I have been deceived. I thought I was super mature. I thought I was, I knew how to do this. But in that moment, I realized, I have no idea how to get God to do stuff. It was in that moment that God radically, you know, radically, he changed my life that day. He gave me, man, that year he gave me so much humility. It was so glorious. I had to repent to all these people that I hated, right? But it was because God touched my life. I didn't realize it but in showing me, in giving me that revelation, I wanted something specific from him, but he gave me something different that was more important for that season of my life, right? He gave me a glorious dose of humility, okay? Now let me give you a dose of humility, okay? If you don't see God moving in amazing ways in your life, the problem isn't God, okay? It's not that he doesn't exist, right? Or he doesn't you know, he's not faithful or something like that, or he's ignoring you. No, the problem is your faith is so dang small. Look, we in the West, we tend to think, dude, we're the most mature. We got to send missionaries elsewhere because, man, those poor Christians, they don't even have Bibles, right? They don't even know how to do anything. Those poor little Christians, we got to go help them because we're the mature ones. Wrong, okay? Guess what? The church in the rest of the world is growing like wildfire. Guess where it's shrinking? Your hometown. That's where. You think they need you to go and help them? Now, I'm saying this with humility, right, because here's the reality. Let me say, I'm not saying never go on mission trips. They don't need you. That's not what I'm saying. The church everywhere needs more help, but the idea that somehow the Western church, the American church, is the mature one, and there aren't way more mature believers in other parts of the world, this is just pride. This is arrogance, right? There's so many people doing amazing miracles. I went to, you know, I have a, I have a mentor, and he has a, he has a conference every four years. And, uh, man, I was listening to the testimonies of all these people in India and Brazil, and I was like, I, I suck at being a Christian leader, God. <laughs> I didn't want them to ask me what I did. Right, they were telling me about, oh yeah, we planted 300 churches this year. I was like, oh jeez, don't ask me anything. Don't ask me anything. I'm pastor. I have like a youth pastor. I have like 100 kids or something like that. Don't ask me. But the reality is, there are people of dynamic faith in the earth that far surpasses your faith. Okay? And until we can have the humility to go, God, okay, all right, maybe my faith is really small. Why? Because you're living in a culture of small faith, right? You're living in a culture that thinks you're crazy if you see a miracle. Like, God can't do miracles. Like, it's so ridiculous, right? Like, God can't do, of course, He can do these things. He just doesn't do them when we come with, oh, prove yourself to me, God. God feels no obligation to prove Himself to anybody right? Zero obligation, right? He, he says, you call on me, right? You humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and I'll lift you up. Not this idea of you've got to prove yourself to me, God. You know what that attitude gets you? That gets you the opposition of God. Scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives help to the humble, Right, so when we church come with this mentality, like, okay, God, well, you better meet me today or else, you know, I might just not be a Christian anymore. Well, that kind of manipulation might have worked on your mama. It ain't going to work on God. God does not respond to manipulation. He responds to faith. He's telling us over and over again what he responds to. He responds to faith. He responds to this thing going, God, I know you can do it. I don't know how you're going to do it sometimes because your ways are higher than my ways, right? I don't expect you to act exactly like I think you should act because you're God, right? And I'm just a man. Guess what? If you walk with God in real faith, more and more you find out how different he is than you. Like, oh, yeah, I know what God would do in this situation. That's, that's a proud statement right there. Right? Would God ask you to sacrifice your only child? I hope, Lord, don't ask me that. Right? But God surprised some people in Scripture with some incredible things that he did. Him on his, this, is, this is who He's Why? Because he's mysterious to us, and we have to come to him on his terms. But if we're going to come to him on his terms, what we're going to be challenged with is our own immaturity, right? And here's the reality. If we have great faith, we will see God move supernaturally in our lives, okay? The greater our faith gets, the more we're going to see God move supernaturally in our lives. That's, this, is, this is all throughout Scripture, right? Like, I, it, 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 it amazes me right, that there's people who don't believe that God does miracles anymore, and because they're teaching that he's not, no, he doesn't, he's not supposed to do miracles anymore. I hate that theology. We've talked about it before. Okay, I'm not going to go for 20 minutes on this, but I am going to say this. It's a, it's a theology of unbelief. It's a theology of unbelief, and literally what, he, what Jesus says over and over again, right, is your faith has healed you right? Your faith has healed you, and I I don't want anybody to be condemned because, look, I've been praying for some things for many years and not seen God move supernaturally. So I'm I'm throwing myself, my faith is small too, but the only way to grow into great faith is to admit that our faith is small, right? The man who, who wanted Jesus to do a miracle for his child, if you remember this story, Jesus, you know, he says, if you can, and Jesus in his grace, he says, if you can right like huh and the man says i believe god help my unbelief that's a seed of faith right there right jesus wasn't doing that to to shame him he was doing that to provoke his faith right of course i can do it the issue is not whether i can do it the issue is whether you can believe it am i making sense brothers and sisters We need to have an expectation in our lives that as we grow in our faith, we're going to see more of God moving in and through our lives. I do not believe in a version of Christianity where you never actually grow in power. It makes a mockery of the scriptures. Because in the scriptures themselves, they say over and over again, the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. Right, I don't care if you know all the Bible verses and there's somebody that's in bondage and all you can do is quote Bible verses over them, that's better than nothing. Okay? But in humility, it's not the power that sets them free. Right? There's a theology that says we get all of the power and all of the maturity and all of it right when we believe in Jesus. And I just want to lovingly say that is absolutely not true, okay? We do not get all of the power and all of the maturity as soon as we believe in Jesus. No, that's not true. As we get closer to him, we gain authority in the kingdom. Okay, so we get closer to him, we gain authority. We have many wonderful things that we get through faith initially in Jesus. We get access, we get full access to the king. We get many glorious things, we get forgiveness of sins, we get all these amazing things. But this idea that we get complete authority and complete power right when we're saved, I want to say it's a misunderstanding and one day, you know, we should handle that in the Bible study because we got to dig into the scriptures to really get into that. But we have to have a, an expectation. God, why? What's the idea here? God, I want to be powerful in you. Should we have an ambition to grow in power? And my answer is, yes, you should. Why? Because what's the power for? It's to help people. It's to set them free. It's to deliver them. Right? That's our calling in Christ. So if our expectation is, oh, no, I'm never going to grow in power, well, how are develop a vision that lets you go hard after God our expectation is that as we continue to walk in his ways and grow in his ways that we'll have increased capacity for ministry for effective ministry i say this all the time every believer is called to be a minister not a pastor a minister big difference Right? Why? Because your job is to bring the kingdom into the world. Our job as pastors is to bring the kingdom in you, and your job is to bring it into the world. Am I making sense? So please, don't become a pastor unless God tells you to, but absolutely, you must identify as a minister. Right? Absolutely, this is the calling that's on your life. You have to embrace that calling because God wants to move powerfully through our lives. Amen? Point number two, you need to dream in God. This is so important. You need to have holy fantasies in God. Guess what? If, you're, if you have a, a demonic fantasy, right, you're thinking about a lot of things you shouldn't, and you indulge those thoughts, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow, what's happening? You're, you're filling up your spirit with all of that stuff. Does that make sense? So don't do that. Do the opposite, right? What's the opposite? It means that you're allowing God to fill you with dreams of his kingdom, to fill you with the what-ifs, fill you with the maybes that God could do in and through your life. Those are the things we want God to fill us with, that we want to have dreams that God could use us in great ways, dreams I could be completely free from these fears, completely free from these depressions, completely free from these things that are holding me down. What would it be like, God, if I was mature in you? What would that look like? And you fill yourself up with holy fantasies. Can I tell you what that is? That's the Spirit of God speaking to you, Destiny. It's so important you have to be able to indulge those dreams what do you think you're doing during prayer right one of during prayer you can't be talking the whole time right I remember man I, I you know I, I grew up in a Korean church and you know it was just like if if you're praying for five minutes you're just talking as fast as you can for five minutes right God I pray that you do this and the god this and, and, and do that and then you, like you you're just trying to keep up with the speed of your voice. And I want to say, look, I, I, sometimes I pray like that when there's grace for it, okay? Sometimes the prayers are overflowing from my heart. But I want to say, if you want a mature prayer life, there's got to be some times where you actually listen. Is it, are you just talking the whole time and you never actually listen to what the Spirit might say to you? That's what tongues is for. Right, what I do is I just pray in tongues, and then when I get burdens, I pray in English. But a lot of times, I'm just praying in tongues. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with tongues, tongues is a biblical gift. Right? It's a gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying through us, and uh, and it's it's awesome. You should all pray for tongues. I tell them, pray. I pray for every gift. Like show me the verse that says, "Don't pray for all of them." Right? no pray for I pray for all of them. I pray for gifts that aren't mentioned like God <laughs> i i I don't want to limit God in a way that he hasn't put a limitation on himself in scripture making sense this idea that God can't do anything outside of the scriptures give me a break. give me a break, he can't do anything else so he's God, He is God he can't. Do anything that would contradict what he says in Scripture. That's a different thing from not being able to do anything that's not found explicitly in Scripture. No, look, he's mysterious. He's mysterious. He does things that we don't expect all the time, right? Like, guess what? We're going to spend eternity being amazed by things that God does, right? It's not like he does the same thing over and over and over again, right, for eternity, right? He's just, there he is multiplying that bread again. Right? I oh, can't multiply, you know, you can't multiply the cheese. You know, he didn't do that. That's ridiculous. Come on. Give me a break with that religious garbage. God is God, okay? We need to dream in God and allow Him to fill us with holy fantasies. God, what would it look like, Lord? What would it look like if this happened? That's hope rising in your heart. Do you know that hope, scripture says, Right, Hope is what enables faith, because what is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for. Right, Our hope should be burning. Let me put it to you this way. You cannot out-hope God. Sounds weird. You can't out-hope him. What you can find is that sometimes your hopes are misplaced. But when you find that your hope is misplaced, guess what? The real thing that God has for you is far better than the small little thing you hoped for. That's real faith that when we're disappointed in God, when he disappoints one of our hopes, we have a faith that understands that even though it's not going to happen quite like this, he's got something even better. Right? But she's the one, God. The one. She dumped me. How's that possible? How am I going to live? Come on, dude. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You think there's no one better than that one girl? Like she was literally the best one on planet Earth. Give me a break, buddy. Hear me. This is important because so many times God will appear to disappoint us. Do you think Abraham was disappointed when God's like, Here's a son, a miraculous son, Abraham. Now sacrifice him for me. You think Abraham was disappointed? I bet he was a little disappointed that night. I bet he was like, I bet he struggled. This is like a cruel game you're playing with me, God. I bet he struggled with it a little bit. But we read, we went over Abraham. What happened? Abraham developed a faith that even if his son was killed, God could raise him from the dead right? Brothers and sisters, don't let your disappointment halt you in your walk of faith. The only reason that happens is because your faith is too small. No. When we go, God, I've been disappointed in this way, but when we restart our faith and we both go, but God, I know that your way is going to be far better than the small hope that I had. I know your way is going to be better, God. I trust you with this. I trust you in this place of disappointment. I trust you even though it seemed like this dream I had in you died. Guess what? We've talked about this before, but the way of the kingdom is resurrection. This is how it works. This is part of the process of the kingdom that God purposefully leads you into hopes that he knows are going to die. Guess what? Almost all those people had hopes that died. I bet Peter was pretty disappointed when Jesus died. He went back to fishing. He's like, I thought I was going to be prime minister of the world, right? I thought I was going to be like ruler of the world. And now I'm just back to fishing. Man, that's a pretty big jump right there, right? That's like his hope had died. And yet he couldn't understand that it wasn't, it wasn't just the dream that had. The dream that he had was too small you understand? Peter was hoping, he was dreaming of being the prime minister of Jesus' earthly kingdom, but he didn't understand that he was going to be an elder, a great one in an eternal kingdom of far more billions and billions of people that he never even understood or saw. Brothers and sisters, don't let your hope in God die. Reassert faith. Say, God, I trust you in this area. It seems like it's dead. It seems like it's over. But, Lord, I believe that you make a way where there seems to be no way. That I have a real hope in you, Lord God. Show me how to follow you in the midst of this disappointment. Amen? Let's get back. Verse 35. It says, women receive their loved ones back again from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. Now what he's going to do, remember, let me pause real quick. Remember what I said. He's pointing out two things to happen that happen to all people of great faith. Okay. Number one is that God moves powerfully in and through their lives. Number two is they experience hardship and suffering because of that great faith. Okay? So again, let me read that. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Pause. This is so important. You cannot understand the Bible unless you understand that the vast majority of our hopes will not be fulfilled until the age to come. That's why whenever... Christian ministers focus too much on this life, you get in trouble biblically, right? When you start saying, God wants to bless your life, which life, right? God wants to bless your life. That's why he wants you to have yachts and mansions and all this kind of stuff. You go, give me a break, buddy. Because what about all the take up your cross stuff? Oh, you know. Don't worry about that. He wants to bless your life. Yes, he does. But when do the vast majority of our blessings come? After the resurrection. That's why it's by faith, right? Because otherwise, man, if God wants yachts and mansions for you, boy, Peter, man, he got messed up. Paul, they really missed out on God's plan for their life, right? Like all the apostles, they just all missed it, right? They didn't. They weren't rich. They didn't live in luxury. What do they have? They have a glorious future after the resurrection, if God if God follows through on His promise. Guess what? If they if God doesn't follow through on His promise, then they were the biggest fools ever. Right? They're the biggest idiots ever. Like, yeah, torture. Yes. Right, man. They. they they're morons, right, if if God's promises are not true. If God won't reward them for their suffering, right, if you won't honor them for those things, then they're the, the biggest fools of all time, right? And I want to be like that. I want to be a bigger fool, oh God, for you, right? I want to have greater faith than these, men, than these great men of God. Brothers and sisters, this is an important key to understanding Scripture. You have to understand the great majority of the reward and the glory and all of that happens after the judgment okay verse 36 some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips others were chained in prison some died by stoning some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats destitute and oppressed and mistreated they were too good for this world pause I love how the author of Hebrew turns that around, right? Because look, look at these morons, right? Look, they were sawed in half. They were tortured. They were crucified. They were fed to the lions, right? And the natural way you think about it is like these, these were idiots, right? But how does the author of Hebrews turn around? He says, no, by faith we know that they were too good for the world, right? How do we know that these men and women of God were glorious in eternity, because of what happened to them, because of the suffering that they endured for the sake of the cross, right? They're the ones who show us, who are the models given to us. Look, if you're really great in God, you get sawed in half. That sounds pretty crazy, right? I hope I don't get sawed in half. But Lord, if I do, I pray that I would, I would go through it with full faith. Okay, that's the prayer we got to pray. Look, we talked about this in our eschatology series, right? Like what they went through, Scripture says, is the small persecution compared to the end persecution. So my question to you is, if your faith is only like, oh God, just let me die of old age. Let me die of old age. Who's going to be nurturing the faith of the generation that has to endure all of that? If we shrink back from that, and we go, God, just not in my lifetime, right? There's a king, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was told that there's going to be judgment, and then he prayed, and they said, it's going to come after you die. And He said, okay, that's fine, that's fine. I'm like, that's terrible. That's terrible. If we just have the mentality, oh, God, just not me, let my, let my kids be tortured. Come on now. That's a pretty crummy faith. Why? Because you're the one who has to cultivate a faith in them that can withstand that kind of persecution. And this whole whole notion that, oh no, if God loves us, he would never let us go through something like that. Come on! Come on! That's nowhere in the Bible. Right? Nowhere in the Bible. No. If we, if we are among the generation who does have to suffer like this, and guess what? Just because we are here in America, do you understand that this is probably the most persecuted Christian generation in history? You understand that Christianity has been all but wiped out in the Middle East? Oh, is that because people just forgot about God and lost their faith? No, it's because they were tortured and killed, right? Christians have been dying like crazy in the Middle East because of great persecution. Where's the media on that, huh? Media makes me mad sometimes. this, Okay, I'm going to get. I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there in Jesus' name. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, our spiritual brothers and sisters are being persecuted, are dying, are being tortured for the name. And we're sitting here praying prayers like, oh, just don't let it happen to me. What I say about that immature church stuff right? What I say about that? The reality is if that kind of shaking came upon the American church, what percentage would stand? That's a better look at what the American church really consists of. If you don't have faith that can withstand serious persecution, what are you? Well, scripture says you're like rocky soil, That's what Jesus said. He said there's four types of soil, and he pointed out one, the rocky soil, that at first receives the word of God with joy. Yes, Jesus is the way. I give him my life. I'm happy I get to go to heaven. But because there's no depth, there's no root, there's no maturity, as soon as hardship or persecution comes, right, the plant dies. Brothers and sisters, what percentage of American Christians are rocky soil? I'm afraid it's a pretty dang high percentage because the reality is the type of persecution that we face now that takes Christians out now is like the lightest of little persecution, right? Oh, my gosh, you're a Christian? No? no? Right? Oh, my gosh, you believe homosexuality is a sin? Ah, no, not really. What kind of faith is that? What kind of depth is there? See, this is my problem. By the way, the the homosexuality thing is a huge thing in our culture right now. The problem with the whole assumption of the debate is that how do you not have a faith that believes that God transforms people? I can't understand that. I can't, that that debate only makes sense. No, if you're born this way or you struggle with these things from birth, you feel these things from birth, then it has to be normal and good. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Every single believer is struggling against sin in their lives. Every single believer is wrestling with demonic inspired desires, right? Scripture talks about all, all the time and no, you can't be changed. Oh, give me a break. The whole The whole gospel is that we're transformed into the image of Christ. We go from glory to glory. We become like him. He makes us like him. So this is just a a ridiculous, look at that small faith again. No, God can't transform people. Oh, buddy. We need real mature faith, brothers and sisters. This is what it's talking about. We can't have this, look, we can't have this expectation that because I look to the left at this church and to the right at this church and I pray more than them, I'm mature. Give me a break. No. We are dealing with maybe the most immature generation of Christians in this culture right now. And if you look to the right or your left and you compare yourself with them, then you, are, you will never have mature faith. You'll never have mature faith. There's got to be something in us that goes, God, I cannot stand to have an immature faith in my life. I must become mature in my faith. And I'll tell you what you're going to have to do if you want to become mature in your faith. You're going to have to put yourself into positions that make you uncomfortable with small faith. What am I talking about? I'm talking about when we call a fast. I'm not the kind of Christian who fasts then you're not the kind of Christian who will ever develop mature faith. I'm not the kind of Christian that prays for more than 30 minutes. Then you're not the kind of Christian that will ever develop mature faith. We've got to put ourselves in positions that make our flesh uncomfortable. Why? How are you going to crucify your flesh? How the heck are you going to get it to die when you refuse to go into situations that challenge your flesh Brothers and sisters, this is how we mature. We, see, we cry out for mature faith. And hear me, what the religious spirit will do is it, will, it won't ever give you a vision of mature faith. It will just condemn you constantly for your lack of faith. Some of us, we live in that place where we just feel like God's never happy with us. And hear me, that's the opposite extreme of what I'm talking about here. Faith it comes by the word of God. It comes as a dream, as a possibility of what could be. And guess what? The word of the Lord is always, it always sounds too good to be true. Eternal life in paradise. Perfection. You can make me completely perfect like you. You can give me intimate friendships for eternity. It always sounds way too good to be true. But it's the dream that gives us the drive to follow him into the difficult places in our lives. Right? It's the dream. You can't have great faith without a great dream. That's why I'm saying if you only focus on the suffering part of this, man, nobody, will, no, nobody wants to get sawn in half. Okay? There's no weird, there's maybe those really weird masochistic Christians out there, right? But I'm, I'm, no, nobody wants to undergo persecution. That's not the point. The point is I want to have such a vivid dream of the glory that awaits me. That even if it requires I go through a path of hardship, I'm not stumbled. I'm not shaken. I understand that the path of God always leads through hardship and difficulty, but it's always with help. That's the difference. I'm never going through difficult circumstances on my own. I'm going through it with help. I'm counting on the fact that my father is going to meet me in the place of hardship with a help that I haven't had before. Does that make sense? God calls us into difficulty because he wants to meet us in that place with grace. He says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So we've got to trust him if he's calling us to a place where we feel like we can't do this. God, I can't do this. But Lord, if you're calling me, Lord, then I believe that you'll provide the grace. The great debilitator, i got to talk about this for a second, is timidity. The great debilitator is timidity. Hear me. The Spirit of God is bold. I talk about this all the time. The number one sign, the manifestation of someone being filled with the Spirit is that they're filled with boldness. Because he's bold. God's not scared of anything. So when the Spirit comes upon you and you start to act in the Spirit, you need to start acting bold. What's my point? You must divorce yourself from a timid nature. You must say, that's not who I am. Look, I'm not the most outgoing person. Right? People who know me know I like to just chill. Okay? I'm pretty chill unless we start playing Airsoft. I'll kill all of you guys in Airsoft. Right? But if we're just chilling, I'm pretty quiet. Right? I'm quiet until I feel the Spirit of the Lord come upon me, right? I then I pray loud, right? Then I start declaring things. Then I start to believe that God can make you into brothers and sisters. You must have an, you must believe that God can make you into a bold person, and then you must make decisions where you overcome fear. How can you grow to maturity without ever having to overcome fear? No, it's not possible. You have to overcome fear. And guess what? Sometimes those things that you're afraid of are going to come true. That's how it works, right? That's how it works. And and then you know what? You get mature, right? My son, the other day, was like, dad, there's a spider. He comes out screaming, (laughs) right? There's a spider. I was like, how big is it? He's like, it's like a really little spider. I'm like, kill it, right? I'm like, Judah, get it, right? Go get a piece of paper and take it out, right? And he's like, he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, 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 right? And I was like, no, nah. we had a talk, right? We had a talk, right? And I said, Judah, who you are, you, you're a brave boy, right? He said, this is who you are. You're a brave boy. And I said, right now, you're acting like a coward. That's what I told him. I didn't say you are a coward, right? This is an important distinction. You are a brave boy. This is your calling. This is who you're destined to be, okay? But right now, you're acting like a coward. BTM, can I tell you that some of you act like cowards? And you can't come to maturity. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit is provoking you to overcome a fear and you say no every time, the thing that you're saying no to is the maturity that he's trying to bring to your life. That's what you're saying no to. What would have happened? What's the worst thing that could have happened to Judah? Right? The worst thing. This little spider. You know, might have crawled up his arm. I don't know, might have bit him on his little arm. I don't know, might have crawled into his mouth. Maybe that's the worst thing. And then what would have happened? He would have killed him. You understand, this is an irrational fear. Our rational fear. And I want to say the same thing to some of us. You are are held down by irrational fears. You gotta overcome them. Hear me, young people, I'm talking to you, freshmen. Seb, it's because I believe in you, brother. You gotta take the reins. You gotta take the baton. Hey, for some of you guys, your house church leaders are graduating. Some of these people are moving on. And this is important. There's got to be a generation that takes the baton and goes farther. You got to go farther. Hear me, the story of Europe is that in every subsequent generation, right, the ones burned a little less brightly than the generation before. Am I making sense? They've had great men and women of God in Europe, right? Smith Wigglesworth, You wouldn't be laughing if that guy punched you. (laughs) There are incredible men and women of faith. And what we saw is that in every generation, it's just they burned a little less brightly. I want to challenge you. Is that the story of America? Is it the destiny of America that we must follow the same path? Who in this generation, where are the Billy Grahams of this generation? Where are the Bill Bright's? We're the Lauren Cunningham's of this generation, or are we going to burn a little less brightly than they did? We can go backwards, or I believe we can go forwards. We can we could come and, we can have the double portion. Elijah passed down a double portion anointing to Elisha. I think we can do the same thing. I don't think we have to fade into the darkness. I don't think America has to lose its Christian heritage, but there's going to have to be some bold Christians that stand up in this generation. And I'm asking where the heck are they? Where's the next generation of crazy believers? When are you going to stand up and say, I've got to take on this torch? It's not enough for me to just get heaven. No, I've got to turn back the tide in this nation. I've got to turn back the tide. That's the difference. It's not that that guy is going to do it. Thank God we have Lou Engel. He's going to turn back the tide. How about you of heroes is going to die one day. This generation of heroes is passing away. Where's the next generation? Who's going to take up that torch? It's not just these American heroes. Where's this generation's Sam Song? You guys have no idea who that is. Sam Song was a pastor here in Thanksgiving Church. He was a youth pastor here. That dude brought a serious renewal movement to Orange County. When he was the pastor here at TKC, the Christian club at Whitney was half the school. Half the school was in the Christian club. That guy scared the the bejesus out of me. They told stories of how he fought with his youth kids. They told, I remember I heard a story about how he was at home. And back in those days, they just had to deal with like these gangster youth kids. These want to be gangsters, right? And they called him when he was at his home. And they said, we're going to come over to your house right now. We're going to kill you right, we've got a group of like six people who going to come over there and kill you, right? And this is what he said. He went out on his lawn. He said, "They come. He said, get over here. Don't chicken out. He scared the heck out of me. Where's this generation's Samsung? Where's this generation's Andrew Lee? Where's this generation's Daniel Park? Come on. We have a heritage here at TKC of people who have gone on to bear much fruit for the kingdom. My question is, are you going to shine less brightly than them? Or are you going to shine more brightly in this generation? It's not about your strengths and your weaknesses. It's about about saying, God, I want that. I want that, God. I want that. I'm going to close here. I'm just going to read this. How does the author of Hebrews finish this up? He actually finishes it up in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects Our faith. My call to you, brothers and sisters, grow up, grow up. Don't allow yourself to stay in immaturity. Jesus says if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your phone causes you to stumble, cut it off. I can't live without my smartphone, Pastor Dennis. Really? Really? Some of you, your phone is a stumbling block in your life. Guess what? I have the prescription for you. It's called a flip phone. It's called a not smartphone. What would I do with not having a smartphone? You would actually live in Jesus. Get rid of debilitating sin in your life, cut it out, take extreme measures. If your boyfriend, Causes you to stumble. Cut it out. Cut him out. Hear me. If you're falling into sexual temptation with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you have two options if you're going to follow Jesus. You cut it off or you get married. Yeah. You can get married. That's the real path. Oh, but I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I can't live without him. But I don't know about marriage, right? We'll pick one or the other, right? But don't stay in a place of physical compromise. I tell you, that is the thing that will absolutely kill your spiritual life. It will destroy your spiritual life. If you stay in a place of sexual compromise, you will not be able to feel the Spirit of the Lord in your life. Cut it out, get rid of it. Brothers and sisters, Cut off the things that are debilitating you. Look, if you struggle with pornography, get one computer, put it in the living room. Desktop. Oh, It's so crazy. Or is it just common sense? Like, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you? I'll be honest, I can't have Instagram on my phone. I deleted that app three times. I can't have it. I sit there and look at pictures of stupid things like watches. And then this little, like a girl, comes into my feed and it messes me up. So what do I do? Boom! Get that out of here. I don't need no Instagram. I don't care about Instagram, right? If it's stumbling you over and over, cut it out, cut it off, cancel your Crunchyroll subscription. Cancel Netflix. Whatever. The issue is if it's consistently causing you to stumble, get rid of it. And don't just get rid of it and then do nothing. No. Cultivate a prayer life for God's sakes. Cultivate a prayer life. Don't only pray when I force you to do it here. Learn to do it on your own. How are you going to have intimacy with Jesus if you never pray to him on your own? This is the downfall of the Korean church. It's like as soon as the leaders stop telling you exactly what to do, you don't know what to do because you never cultivated intimacy with the Holy Spirit. How about you cut out all the church activity if you can't spend time with God because you're too busy with church stuff? Oh, dang, it just got real for a couple people right there. You think we need another Bible study teacher? Or you think we need somebody who's anointed and has intimacy with God? We can find Bible study teachers. We'll just play them a video. Whatever. We don't need you to give a paltry service. Uh, Hear me. We appreciate it. Okay. We love your heart. But look, it cannot get in the way of what's more important. Intimacy with Holy Spirit is far more important So if you go, I can't do that because I'm so busy with all of this stuff, cut it out. Let us throw off the weight that so easily entangles and let us run the race with endurance. What am I talking about? you got to be passionate in your faith. Don't give me this idea of I just, I'm like, I'm a solid Christian. I come to church. You're not a solid Christian. A solid Christian is passionate. You cannot be a solid Christian if you're not passionate for the kingdom. That's biblical. Never be lacking in zeal. Right? Never be lacking in zeal. The things that steal your passion, those are the things that you have to get rid of. Get rid of them and then get in the most passionate, uncomfortable community you can find. Don't go to a Korean fellowship because you're Korean. If the Korean fellowship is the most passionate fellowship on your campus, awesome. Awesome. But what if it's the black fellowship? Oh no, I'm Korean, I don't... Are you racist? What, what's the, you don't like being uncomfortable? Okay, well good, then do it, right? Go be with the most passionate people you can find, right? You do that, it will help your faith and you have a chance of growing into maturity. Hear me. I say this because this is the dream of my life. I want to bear much fruit. I've been praying for the hundredfold anointing, that I would bear a hundredfold fruit in my life. And I know that I'm so far from that. So brothers and sisters, let's run this race together. Worship team, come on up.